When we first started Tribe, if you had told me that I would have a podcast show where I interviewed the CMO of Gucci, I don't think I would have believed you. Uh, but today we talked to Robert about how this, the role of the CMO has changed inside of Gucci over time to now embrace consumer engagement through digital channels. We talked about his career, the unbelievable trajectory that he's had during that time and some of the things that he thinks contributed to that, um, as well as the role of the change in leadership that occurred inside of Gucci in 2015 when Marco took over as CEO and Alessandro took over as creative director. Remember... If you like the show, be a friend, tell a friend, and subscribe, as well as tell us any dream guests that you'd love to have on the show. Um, thanks again for listening, guys, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Influencers, inspiration, and Instagram, Instagram, Instagram. This is Earned by Tribe Dynamics. Here's Connor Begley. Welcome to Earned, everybody. Today, we have one of the top luxury CMOs in the world, Robert Trevis. Thanks for joining the show, Robert. It's great to be with you, Connor. Looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, and I really appreciate you carving out the time. I, uh, as we talked about in the pre-show, I had to get a special Gucci Hawaiian shirt just for this interview, and uh, it's it's going to be a good one. We love that you're representing, and you look great. <laughs> so for those that don't know, Robert, uh, so during his time at Gucci, they've become the number one luxury brand that we track in the world when it comes to EMV. They've had over 35,519 influencers talk about them in the last 12 months, and they've created over 220,000 pieces of content. And from a sales perspective, you guys have doubled in revenue since 2019, and Q2 sales are up 25% year over year, uh, which is pretty, uh, pretty impressive stuff. Well, you know, it's a, it's an interesting world that we're living in at the moment, and, and we kind of take each day as it comes. Uh, but we have a very committed uh, belief in the importance of digital, uh, a very committed belief in the importance of uh, creating uh, an engaging narrative for our community, and uh, a, a very committed belief in what the community represents. So, uh, you know, all those... Uh, let's say values uh, at the at the base of what we're doing continues uh and uh, for the moment anyway it seems to be holding us in uh, in good stead yeah that idea of kind of community building is an interesting one i think that was i mean you had a change in title a little bit to take on you know added responsibility there has that mm-hmm. been like a shift culturally within gucci to really embrace you know the ability for digital to allow you to connect directly with with your end customer yeah i i, I mean I, it's a, it's an important observation that you've made we did rename rebrand uh, if you will the area uh, that i'm responsible for uh we now call uh, the area brand and cu- customer engagement uh and really that that is designed to underline the importance that we attach to uh building that sense of community uh, but but doing it with a very uh, important emphasis on the emotional uh, essence of what the brand represents. Of course, technology powers what we can do, uh, but at the heart of it, there needs to be a, a true uh, belief in an emotional uh, value uh, for what Gucci represents in the world. And, and if we can dial up that emotion... Uh, the community feels more engaged and and ultimately we obviously begin to expand the community as well. 
Yeah. What are the, so what are like the underlying tactics there that you're using to engage with the community? I mean, I read about Gucci nine, right. Which seems like it was a pretty big endeavor. Um, Mm -hmm. What are some of those tactics you're using uh, Mm -hmm. to engage with them? So, I mean, you can divide it really into two areas. One is more technological based. So Gucci nine is perhaps an example of that. You know, Gucci nine is our global uh, client service center. Uh, We have around 600 online client advisors today around the world, and they are uh, engaging with customers on a daily basis. But we don't think of it as a call center. We think of it as a a front line, if you will, in uh, building deeper relationships uh, with our clients. They are empowered uh, through technology. And and one of the services that we have offered, uh, and it was something actually that we'd embarked upon before the pandemic, uh, was uh, Gucci Live. It's it's essentially a video experience, a live video experience, where we bring the experience of the physical store to someone through a live video. Uh, And we try to ensure that it replicates to the best possible degree that in-store experience. Otherwise, uh, another example of uh, technology leading the customer experience has been uh, our, uh, let's say, pioneering uh, ideas of AR try-on. We have uh, uh, really exploited the potential of augmented reality uh, to provide uh, an enhanced customer experience with some of our product categories. Uh, so we've uh, we've done that with eyewear, with makeup, and uh, and with sneakers, uh, and of course we have the capacity not only to provide the enhanced experience uh, in terms of trying on that item, uh, but then also a very seamless experience to shop uh, the item itself uh, if if you're happy with the uh, with the trying experience. Then I, I would say uh, other ways that we look to deepen engagement is through the storytelling itself. So it's less about technology and more about the authenticity of uh, the the Gucci narrative and and how we bring that to life uh, through original content or through content that we might be making with partners. Um, So I I often say actually to some of our legacy uh, 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 print partners that today I see Gucci uh, as more of a publisher than they are, because uh, first of all, our global, first of all, our global community is significantly larger, uh, and second of all, we are now always on in terms of, uh, of producing content and deploying content over a very broad ecosystem. And and of course, the last point I would make in terms of how we're deepening the engagement is to really understand the platforms where Gucci uh, can and should be uh, present and should be uh, expanding our community. And of course, every one of those platforms, if you think about uh, uh, TikTok or uh, if you think about Redbook in in China, or if you think about Instagram, I mean, every one of those platforms has a different user or or, or journey, a customer journey. Uh, And so we have to think very thoughtfully about the kind of content that we're making and how we deploy it across all these different platforms. Yeah. The, uh, there aren't many brands that are aware of this concept that like 
your channels, you are a publisher, right? And you should be creating content that is inherently interesting, engaging, fun. It's not just about sales, right? Like that's not the point. Like why would I pick up a magazine if all it was, you know, was a catalog? Although, you know, catalogs can be entertaining. Um, yeah, no, that's fantastic. And, I love it. And, and, totally and, true. And, and actually, you know, that, that point you've just made is, uh, it, it's a really important one and understanding how you, um, in a way, walk a line uh, where um, you are thinking about how do you create a narrative that is engaging uh, and, uh, and, and, and continuative because when people join a brand because they're passionate about the brand, they want to keep coming back and being part of that ongoing narrative. So you have to think about how you bring that to life sequentially. At the same time, of course, when they're passionate about a brand, they do want to buy into the brand. So figuring out how you combine that storytelling with that opportunity at given moments to, uh, to, to make a purchase, uh, it's an important, uh, 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 it's, it's an important uh, equation to figure out. Yeah, it's a tough balance. It's a tough balance. Um, so let's, I want to get, so I want to go to your background because I think your background is fascinating. I think the trajectory that you've had over the course of your career is, is, uh, is pretty unbelievable. Um, but before we do that, I wanted to hit gaming really quickly, right? So as I was doing kind of research for this episode, it just seems to be a growing narrative internally, right? It's digital goods, the ability to interact with people in a, in a new environment, um, I'd love to hear all of it, right? And I would say that my knowledge of that space is fairly limited. And I would imagine a lot of the people listening to this is. So tell me about that. Like, how did it get started? What's your guys' view? Do you want to continue to invest in it more aggressively over time? Sure. Um, I'd love to hear all um, of it. I, I, you know, I think that uh, it's interesting if you think about how fashion intersects with so many uh, cultural references today. So of course, the ones that are most well-known are, are movies and music and art, uh, but fashion also increasingly intersects with gaming. Uh, and the reason being that gaming is becoming uh, a very strong uh, 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 driver of self-expression. Um, the, the capacity that gaming is providing to individuals uh, to uh, uh, bring themselves into a new reality uh, to express themselves perhaps in ways that they haven't been able to express in the physical reality. So as we began to look into uh, that more deeply and we began to realize the significance of the gaming community, a community that crosses generations, cross, crosses genders, crosses ethnicities. So it's a true global community in every sense. Um, mm -hmm. We realized that, 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 that there was an opportunity for Gucci to have a voice in that community and to enable the community to bring Gucci into their experience. So we began to look at different ways of doing that. And um, you've probably seen uh, a, a number of the kind of different experiments uh, that we've conducted as, as we gain deeper understanding of, of, of the gaming world and of, of, of what gaming offers to our community and what we can offer back to the community. So mm -hmm. we've, uh, we've experimented with Sims, uh, bringing to life uh, our first uh, circular collection off the grid. Uh, the Sims environment was the perfect uh, metaverse, as it were, to bring that to life in. Uh, we then uh, also experimented with Roblox, which is a remarkable community. 
huge community um, where uh, we were able, yeah, we, we were able to bring a new physical experience that we've opened in uh, Florence to life within that metaverse. And then um, most recently, we've uh, partnered with an esports team uh, in uh, America uh, called 100 Thieves. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, we've created some uh, special product for, uh, for, for uh, that community. So different, different kind of experiences, different experiments. Uh, each one of them has kind of underlined for us uh, the um, kind of amazing intersection, let's say, between gaming and, and fashion today. So you mentioned kind of collaboration there, right? And I think that seems like a a really big theme for you guys. I mean, the shirt I'm wearing is a collaboration, right? And I think that, um, is that something that, has that always been there or is it something that has increased over time? Is that something that, you know, uh, that Alessandro or Alessandro is pushed, yep. right? Um, yep. Yeah, I'd love to hear about that, how that has evolved from, you know, yep. when you started in 2008 to today. Look, um, you know, when Alessandro was appointed, uh, actually in, in 2015, um, you know, the industry at that time, fashion and luxury, um, it, it was a very one-way relationship. I mean, uh, the, the, the fashion brands were extremely controlling. They wanted to have every element of the experience um, uh, it, controlled in a, in a kind of very minute and detailed way. Uh, and uh, that that idea of kind of inclus- inclusivity, that idea of, of creation through co-collaboration uh, was far removed from, from the luxury world. Um, Alessandro, uh, in one of his very first collections, uh, brought to life uh, a, a really interesting collaboration with uh, a pop artist uh, called Gucci Ghost, uh, Trevor Andrew. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and, and Gucci Ghost had uh, effectively been uh, abusing uh, the Gucci trademark in, in his works. Um, uh, but actually, Alessandro uh, thought of it in a very different way. He thought of, of the fact that he was an artist who was celebrating the iconicity of Gucci. Uh, and so he said to himself, you know, rather than the traditional way of dealing with an, 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 an issue or a circumstance of this nature, which might have been to engage a lawyer and, and bring to an end this, uh, this particular creativity, he thought that he would embrace the creativity. And, and, uh, and so he created a collaboration. And really, from that moment onwards, uh, Alessandro's uh, trajectory has been uh, really uh, based uh, essentially uh, on, on this notion of inclusivity, of of, of celebrating uh, what Gucci has become renowned for uh, and, and, and bringing other creativity into that narrative uh, and, and kind of seamlessly um, uh, uh, fusing uh, creative inspirations. And, and as a result, over the last six years, we've had some amazing and memorable uh, collaborations that have resulted in capsule collections and, and other types of uh, content creativity uh, that have, in, have very much informed our storytelling. Um, and I, I think that's very much a statement of the world that we live in today. And, and uh, uh, of course, social media is, uh, is a very inclusive uh, kind of medium. Uh, uh, the notion that everyone has a voice, everyone can comment, everyone can contribute. Uh, and so uh, I think this notion of, uh, 
of, of co-creativity is very uh, uh, timely and, and very much part of the zeitgeist for, for today, for the world that we live in. I mean, it's, it's just more fun as well, right? Like the idea of co-creation is just so interesting, right? And to, like you said, I think there was a lot of fear before that, that, right? Like, how does this change the brand? I'm not in control. Um, so letting, and this is, I mean, this is an iconic brand. That's, I mean, I believe it's like a hundred years. You guys just celebrated, right? A hundred years. We're, uh, we're very happy to be in our hundredth anniversary year as we speak. And, yeah. uh, and celebrating it. And, and to your point, um, you know, of course, a brand like Gucci over 100 years and perhaps Gucci more than any other uh, luxury brand has a remarkable archive and remarkable iconography within that archive that represents what the brand stands for and, 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 uh, and, and uh, symbols and motifs that uh, our community are very proud of when they, when they have the, the uh, possibility to, to, to carry them or wear them. And uh, so, you know, when you, when you enable co-creativity, it doesn't mean that you uh, let anarchy reign. Uh, I mean, there is a <laughs> there is a high degree of curation, and Alessandro actually, I think, uh, is is renowned for his uh, attention to detail and and his approach to curation. But what he does masterfully is uh, is to create this uh, this magical mix and sometimes a mashup uh, that uh, that is uh, is it, it resonates in a very contemporary way. So I want to take a step back from Gucci and talk about you just for a minute. Um, so when I look at your career, I think there's two things that kind of stand out to me, right? So one is the kind of early trajectory that you had, right? So I believe, you know, you'd founded your own agency. You were a senior executive at um, a fairly large uh, PR firm, right? Ketchum um, at a young age. And I'd love to hear for people that want to eventually be in your role, right? What do you think were some of the things that um, helped you? right? To achieve that trajectory. Um, mm-hmm. And then the second piece is, I think more recently in your career, you know, over the last 23 years, you've been at three companies um, during that time, right? Which that kind of um, length of tenure is not super common uh, these days. So is that, was that intentional or was that something that's just kind of evolved over time? So I'd love to hit those two points uh, if you're, if you're okay with it. Yeah, sure. Look, um, uh, I mean, careers are interesting things. I mean, uh, y- y- you know, you can uh, be someone who is, uh, let's say, very uh, focused and, and knows exactly where they want to be headed. Uh, and then you can also be someone who is, uh, let's say, open to opportunity and possibility. Um, I probably would put myself in the in the latter category. And I, I have been fortunate to a degree to have been in the right place at the right time. But one thing that I've always uh, tried to ensure is that I'm, I'm open to possibility. And, and, you know, the world today is a, a much smaller world than it was when I uh, started in my career. By that, I mean, the idea of relocating today is much easier than it was. I mean, assuming the COVID uh, situation <laughs> is resolved. Um, and, and so I would encourage anyone in their career that if they're given the opportunity uh, to uh, uh, broaden their experience, to have new opportunities, to, to always seize that. 
Um, as far as uh, uh, you know, the, the the experience I've had with the in the industry, I mean, I had no specific ambition to get into fashion. Uh, <laughs> I got a phone call one day, uh, and and I was working in the communications industry and working for some very kind of traditional companies like Price Waterhouse and Federal Express and Heinz. Uh, and I got a phone call uh, and I was uh, invited to go and meet uh, Mr. Calvin Klein. And, um, you know, I did it uh, again. I, I, uh, it wasn't a passion of mine, the idea of getting into fashion. But I got into this industry at a very interesting time because this is an industry that has, in a way, come of age. It's, it's turned from being an adolescent, an adolescent into an adult as fashion brands that may have been started by entrepreneurs or families have transitioned to public companies. The, the groups have become bigger and bigger. So it's a, it's a very, very much more sophisticated industry today. And consequently, for those that want to build a career in this industry, there are many, many more career paths and opportunities that are much more formalized than, than when I started off in the industry. Um, and uh, it, it's, it's also a very, very competitive industry today. So mm -hmm. um, I think you have to be ready if, if this is an industry that you want to get into. It's, it's an industry that requires uh, hard work. Uh, commitment and and passion, uh, but if uh, you've got all of those things, I think it's uh, it's a fascinating industry. And and because of uh, uh, the the way the world is uh, evolving and and regions of the world that are, are being able to experience what the luxury industry has to offer, kind of for the first time or or it's early in their evolution. I think over the coming uh, period. Uh, the, there is really lots of, uh, of of exciting opportunity ahead. Yeah, on that theme of competition, I mean, the cost to create a brand today is, you know, the, the threshold is lower than it's ever been, right? So to be able to, you know, find contract manufacturing and set up a website and, you know, get it on social media, just it's so much easier to get discovered, which ultimately, you know, makes it much harder to build a really big brand, right? Um, at the same time, you know, one of the nice parts about globalization is that it is taking brands like Gucci um, and allowing them to spread so quickly. Not that it wasn't a brand that wasn't already global, but you can just reach such a broad audience so quickly um, and become iconic across uh, across regions, countries, continents um, in a way that, you know, would have been a lot more difficult in the past. So. It's definitely, uh, I think it's good to be Gucci. I think it's going to be hard to be in the middle. I think it's going to be hard to be, you know, uh, one of the brands. Like I think, anyways. Uh, and, and, and you're probably right. Uh, I mean, uh, the, there, there does seem to be a little bit at the moment of a, of a, 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 a let's say, a move to the, 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 the margins and, and a little bit of a polarization. I mean, one hopes that uh, once we get through this pandemic and we come out the other side and, uh, and, and, and businesses can normalize and economies can kind of pick up pace again, uh, that, uh, that that dynamic might change a little bit. So we already talked about Alessandro, uh, but let's talk about Marco for a minute. Um, so, you know, they kind of joined around the same time. And I think you're, you have the unique perspective of having been there kind of before and afterwards. And obviously the brand was doing well before, but I think they both caused some acceleration. Um, 
And you mentioned, I think, in another interview that, you know, culture was kind of where they started. Um, talk to me about kind of his leadership style and, and what's worked well. Uh, for yeah, well, for, just to be kind of clear, and it's an important point, you know, Marco was uh, appointed uh, CEO at the back end of 2014. And one yeah. of the first decisions that he made, which uh, has proven to be a masterful decision, was to appoint Alessandro. Uh, and appoint uh, someone internally uh, who had been with the company for 12 years, 13 years, who knew Gucci inside out, knew the archive inside out. And it was really a decision that was unexpected at the time because uh, the expectation was uh, a hiring of an external creative director, a kind of big name who would come in. And, um, of course, it it was uh, an inspired decision that very quickly uh, proved to uh, be successful uh, because uh, being that Alessandro was already within the company, it meant that uh, the change that, uh, that that both of them wanted to bring about at Gucci could be brought about much more quickly than if you have someone completely new coming in. Um, and uh, I think that uh, the, the, the notion of putting culture first um, it, it, it's a little bit uh, along the lines of what I was saying when I talked about the idea of inclusivity and co-creation, um, that the notions of culture that, that Marco and uh, Alessandro had in 2015 was to celebrate values that honestly uh, fashion had not been living and breathing. Uh, so uh, the notion of uh, uh, diversity, inclusion, respect, uh, a kind of sense of joy, uh, uh, the possibility of creativity. I mean, it, it may sound kind of rather obvious, but it isn't, and it wasn't. Uh, yeah, and, certainly. Uh, and to, to bring all those values to life, uh, it takes time, and it takes a, a very clear uh, uh, perspective on, on how you go about uh, allowing uh, that to thrive and, and, and be fostered. Um, but uh, I definitely think that um, today, uh, you know, six years on, uh, we are a company uh, and, a, and a community where we're upwards of 20,000 people today. Uh, when, when this journey began, uh, we were, uh, I think, about 11,000. So we're a much bigger community. And I think that the values that, that we represent and that we celebrate uh, within the, the ways that we work, uh, are very much uh, aligned with that original vision. Yeah, that idea of inclusivity, I think actually plays pretty nicely into a lot of the discussions that we had with other luxury brands around influencers, individuals as publishers, right? Um, you know, because they would say, hey, I understand that Jeffrey Star is my number one influencer as Chanel, but that doesn't mean that I want him to be. Right. And it seems like you guys that, you know, uh, that you embraced that a lot more readily than others did to say, hey, I understand that this isn't somebody that I would have historically chosen as the face of my brand, but that's not what's important anymore. Right. Um, Talk to me a little bit about your approach in the influencer space philosophically um, and just, you know, how you guys think about it internally. Well, I mean, uh, influencers, uh, uh, as we, we call individuals who are kind of passionate about the brand and who, in a way, amplify uh, what the brand is doing because of their interest in the brand. Um, it, you know, going back to that observation about community, you know, the more you expand your community, the more that you, uh, as it were, open up the community 
uh, to different adjacencies, you know, like gaming, uh, uh, sport, art, and so on and so forth. Um, as you do that, you are exponentially uh, 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 accounting for um, more and more individuals who can help to amplify uh, what you're doing. Now, of course, you know, you can be quite calculated in that uh, uh, approach today because you can, you can kind of go out there and, and, and search for uh, the individuals who, uh, uh, who can provide that, uh, that engine. Uh, at the same time, it can happen organically. And uh, of course, if it if it's happening organically, it's something that that you celebrate because uh, this is uh, the, probably the most important way that brands grow is is through organic means rather than uh, than uh, uh, kind of created means. Um, so uh, I, I think that uh, as as a brand, you know, we we certainly celebrate uh, 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 any individual who comes to. Uh, and wants to be part of the community and who wants to, at the same time, uh, celebrate on their own platforms, their experiences uh, with uh, with the brand or the product. Yeah, that idea of organic love is obviously something that runs deeply through our veins, right? And I think is one of the biggest misconceptions about the industry holistically. It's just this is about people that are just passionate about your brand and they're probably active customers of your brand as well, right? Like Jeffree Star is not only the number one influencer for Gucci, I'm sure he's a very large customer, right? And so- um, Indeed he is, indeed he is. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, let's hit one more question and then we'll uh, do one fun end of show question. So um, talking to you would not be complete if we didn't talk about China, Right. And I think we just did an episode with um, uh, the super ordinary who focuses specifically on cross border distribution in China. Um, And obviously, China is the biggest market in the world when it comes to particularly luxury fashion. So what has been your approach? And we'll, we'll kind of keep this influencer specific. So what have you noticed in terms of differences between the kind of commonly referred to as KOLs in China um, and the more common publishers, influencers, individuals, uh, you know, across the rest of the world, uh, culturally or, you know, uh, tactically, what's different there um, in terms of the way that you approach things? Um, look, uh, I, I think that uh, if, if we think about the China experience and how, uh, you know, consumerism has evolved, uh, and, and fashion in particular, um, it, it has been a very much a digital first experience. So uh, the, the notion of um, uh, individuals uh, uh, kind of amplifying and, and uh, uh, exposing uh, brands and, and ideas uh, through uh, social media, um, it's kind of first nature. Uh, in China, it's uh, it's 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 very much a, a, a part of of the way that everyone has uh, has has come to uh, experience the world around them. Uh, in 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 the rest of the world, I think it's uh, evolved in a in a different way after uh, other kinds of uh, experiences, uh, and so um, because it's first nature in China, um, the 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 KOL and and that that phrase now embraces uh, a very wide uh, uh, community of, of different types of of influencer and 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 different ways of uh, of uh, amplifying stories etc. 
Um, but but it's 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 just part of the vocabulary. It's just part of the language. Um, so I think it's really around that that difference between the digital first experience in in China, the the the, the way that everyone has just grown up, uh, versus here where it's kind of come following other types of experience. So it's not first nature. Yeah, I mean they. It's I mean they like. They specifically down to even just a mobile first approach, right? Most of them have skipped laptops, and so yeah. it's uh, yeah, it's it's for me, it is just such an unknown world. But it's so critically important, both in the space that I'm in, as well as the space that the brands that we work with are in, right? Beauty and fashion are, are you know it's generally either their number one or number two market. Cool. Well, let's do one fun end of show question. So you mentioned earlier that, uh, you know, movement is easier than it's ever been in terms of relocation. And you have relocated during your career. You've been in New York, you've been in Milan, you know, you're currently, I believe, in Switzerland, right? So uh, where, when you do decide, if you decide to uh, leave the brand world, where will you settle? Will you settle where you are now or uh, and why why will you pick the location that you will pick eventually? Yeah, can you ask me that question again? And 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 I go from London to New York to Milan. I'm in Milan. So okay, would you okay, ask okay, me okay. that question again? Yes, yes, yes. We'll reset and edit. So you mentioned earlier that you that uh, relocation is easier than it's ever been in the past. Um, and that, uh, you know, obviously, if you were to look at your career, you have spent time in London, Milan, New York. Um, where do you think you will eventually settle? And, you know, what will be the driving force behind that, uh, that settlement uh, if you do ever leave yeah. the brand world? Yeah, look, uh, again, I'm, I, I feel fortunate to have had the opportunity to work in some of the most dynamic cities in the world. Um, and, uh, you know, again, I, I kind of leave that sense of adventure in my mind and that sense of opportunity. Uh, I, I, I love Italy. I think it's a, it's a, an amazing place to live, uh, culturally. Uh, you know, the food is beautiful. The art is beautiful. The people are warm. Um, so I, I'm very happy, uh, here in Italy. Um, at the same time, there are some super exciting cities. Uh, that are emerging. I think Copenhagen is a, is an amazing city. I think Tokyo is an amazing city, uh, uh, and so on and so forth. So, um, I, I would say the answer to the question is, uh, I just keep an open mind and an open spirit, uh, and see where, uh, the journey takes me. And you can always spend time in multiple places, right? You don't have to be settled in one. Um, I think right now I uh, rotate between three different houses. Uh, not, not all mine, just one of them mine. But uh, that's great. Well, thank you so much, Robert. I really appreciate you taking out the time. I know I learned a lot today and uh, want to thank you for, uh, for joining and for helping everybody learn a little bit. It's a pleasure. And thank you for having invited me to the uh, podcast. Awesome. Thanks, Robert. All right. Bye now. Bye. Hit subscribe now. Earned by Tribe Dynamics. Tribe Dynamics unlocks your social media influencer community. Our platform not only tracks and measures your best influencer relationships, but discovers new influencers to grow your business through earned media. Get started with a demo today at tribedynamics.com. Tribedynamics.com.